G'day, is that the flying doctor over? Copy you, Bruce. Billy is real bored, Doc. Keeps moping like crazy. Keeps talking about the secret singer and Mrs. Brown's brood. Well, it looks terrible. What do we do, over? Give him a podcast about Arl Tally, the drunkest, sweariest thing in the house, until I get to you. Otherwise, well, it could be real bad. What did the dog say, Bruce? He said he's on the way over with the Youth of Joyce Cataclysm Weekly, but before he gets there, you're probably going to die, Bill. What? The Peggy Man Calamity Hour is the internet's best-selling inebriated profane nostalgia podcast. In fact, listeners wouldn't give a Peggy Man pod for anything else. This week on the Cast in Peg Mountain. Fantastic theme music. Fan. Fantastic theme music. Great title sequence. I love anything that's got a feel of the covert, clandestine. It's like James Bond meets Batman, this. I'm rather getting the impression you'd have preferred this if they'd just run the theme music for 15 minutes. You're not far off the truth, (laughs) uh, to be fair. That's essentially his character throughout the entire run. Danny goes to eat his dinner. For God's sake, Danny, what are you doing with that fork? You're going to get us all killed, you flaming galah! All right, calm down, man. Are you all right? Hello and welcome to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here to talk about some 1980s television. Yes, hello you. Thanks for swinging by our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or maybe suggest programmes that you'd like us to cover in the future. And before we defect for more money without the dignity we never had to begin with, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Do you know, I'm drinking Cherry B. Oh, Right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Cher- ch- cherry B, yeah. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Very much an end-of-term drink, but OK, I'll, I'll go with you on that. It is, it is. I'm just, I'm feeling it today. So I thought, yeah, go for it. It's uh, one of me five a day. What about yourself? <laughs> I am on the Warehouse Pale Ale. Oh, right. I haven't had that, I don't think. What's it like? It's nice and dry. I like that. Smells dry from here. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it won't be dry if I spill it on the carpet and Ken comes through kicking off again, but there we go. This is very true. This obviously, is very true. it's booze. I'm going to endeavour not to spill any, aren't I? I've known you spill a pint hmm. and ca- catch the drops in your mouth before they hit the floor. Well, I've known that. <laughs> oh, yes. Good memory for stuff like that. When we used to go out and about round the town, which brings me rather nicely to this, actually. They do say when you're out walking around the town, that you're never a hundred yards or even ten yards away from a rat. And they do say that a rat is always 400 miles away from a decent script. Want some proof? Roll the titles. I'm back. 
Roland the Rap, the series, was the flagship children's entertainment show created by the BBC as they pushed TVAM's puppet presenter for the primetime prominence that no one seriously believed he deserved. A mix of sketches, musical numbers and comedic cutaways is presided over by David Claridge, who provides both the voice and the movements for its eponymous star. Roland is joined by his furry chums, Kevin the Gerbil, Errol the Hamster and Glennis the Guinea Pig, as well as a host of characters created for the BBC series and a swathe of celebrity guests. Rather unseasonally, we've watched the hour-long Christmas special, originally aired at 8.45am on Christmas Day in 1986. It consists of an assortment of clips from that year's series, with one new festive sketch inserted at the end. And if that sounds like a monumentally slapdash cash-in, it's entirely in keeping with the show's subject. It's right the series. And the only reason we are watching the uh, out-of-season Christmas special is because it's the only one that Ken still had on VHS. Thanks, Ken, anyway. <laughs> we do appreciate it, Ken. We do. We do. But, uh, yeah. So, so back in so back in the day, though, did you uh-huh. like Roland the Rat? I did. Very much so. Cool. To my Very shame, so. so did I. Yeah. It was one of the few things that I could enjoy watching with my younger sister without us breaking into squabbling. We had, mm-hmm. like, Roland and Kevin glove puppets and everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was part of the reason why I loved it. The merch that came with uh, Roland Rat was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, and I, I loved puppets um, when I was a kid. I loved anything like that. Particularly loved when they used to take Roland and the gang out and about. They did that more when they were on TV AM. They were less uh, restricted to sort of separate. They, they, did, they did a few times on BBC. Mm-hmm. But with um, certain on TV AM, um, I can't remember what it was called... Oh, but it, oh, he's roving Roland, whatever. And they were out and about. And I love to see puppets out in the world, outside. Yeah. It, it it just brought them to life a little bit more for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this in particular, Roland Rat the series, by the time he gets to BBC, fantastic theme music. Fantastic theme music. Great title sequence. I love anything that's got a feel of the coverts clandestine There's, it's like james bond meets batman this i'm rather and getting the impression you'd have preferred this if they'd just run the theme music for 15 minutes you're not far off the truth <laughs> uh, to be fair <laughs> you're you're really not far off the truth um yeah uh and and i remember usually with this program um this one we've watched is different um, as soon as we're out of titles, we would have Roland behind the desk as the show's anchor man, mm. trying to keep it together um, in front of a studio audience, and and off they go. But this is more of, as we found, a compilation of clips, what they consider to be the best uh, of the show's output from the previous series. Yeah, this is the this is the thing, isn't it? We open with a sort of a parody of A Tale of Two Cities. Well, and we, we, like... we open with a parody, and we we continue with a parody, <laughs> and uh, we we're met in the middle with another parody, and then uh, we end with a parody. <laughs> but this opening, it's got all the awkwardness of Kenny Everett's Christmas Carol, yes, it has. combined with the absolute dearth of stage management of Emu's Pink Windmill Live. Yes, yes, yes. That's where we're at. This. <laughs> this this opening sketch, a piece during which the teletext subtitles repeatedly flash filler, goes on for over six bastard minutes. Do you know that felt like six hours? It was the <laughs> longest sketch in history. It really was. Now, whether it's because I'm now middle-aged and miserable, I don't know. 
but generally, even outside of this opening sort of sketch, Roland Rat is like watching Mike Reed having an existential breakdown and a stroke at the same time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's not that I hated this, it's just that I found the entire thing awful. David Claridge. Right, two 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 levels, David Claridge. Number one, mm. uh, his contract must have been superb. Oh, he's thinking about uh, the money by this point. That's fine. That's absolutely, you know. Because, well, well he's, doing, that. he's, doing, he's doing all the voices. Mm-hmm. I like it when he plays Roland Rats. Is it is meant to be his dad or his granddad or his uncle? That's the, his dad. The, his, that's right. his mum and dad, yeah. Right, okay. And it just uses exactly the same voice. He does. He does, yeah. No efforts at all. <laughs> nah. But look at the way this Tale of Two Cities is put together. I mean, this is a labour of love, this. It must have been so painstaking to to, to shoot and put together. Um, oh, oh, I, I, was ti- is... I, I was tired watching it. <laughs> I think this goes back to the classic uh, little and large thing. This set was built for another production. Oh, I don't mean that. Yeah, they, not, they, not they've even gone the around there at seven thirty at night when everyone else has gone home and just shot yeah, this yeah. on the fly. I, ju- I just mean the, the, the separate shots for the puppeteers, etc. Mm. There's very few long shots. There's very there's very few little parts of this these scenes done in one take. It's it's you know mm-hmm. snip 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 all the way here. Oh my goodness, saved by blessed. Mm, yeah, I guess. Again, even he, I sort of get the the impression he doesn't really want to be there. But yeah, he doesn't. I was just happy to see him. I was just happy to see somebody else on the screen because do you know what? For all that the character was great at the time, and when you're young, you appreciate it. There's only so many times you can hear. There's only so many times yeah. you can hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's, it's not it's that, that r- it's Kevin the fucking gerbil, like a puppet oh. embodiment of Les Dennis's Mavis impersonation on loop. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I wanted a way. Of of putting my yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. God, you'd twat him in the face, wouldn't you, if, you, if he was real? <laughs> what a prick! Anyway, moving on, we get to the um, the what, what would you call that? The Dingley Dell sort of the story Dingley time Del. fairy tale yeah, sketch. Yeah, 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 yeah. With with uh, Sir Tim of the Brook Tailors. Yeah, and and I love the bit in the middle of this where this sort of Tim Brook Tailors trying to read kind of like a story. Obviously, Roland Rat is there being sort of the bit of the antagonist, just constantly, you know, being the um, be, being the foil for him, disrupting the story and da da da. I like the bit where Roland Rat berates Tim Brooke Taylor for Roland Rat's own program being shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that's do you know that's all the Rat was there to do was just to berate and and give us snidey little in-production jokes, in-house jokes, mm-hmm. um, all the time with TVAM, which is kind of the reason why I loved him. He would say stuff that the audience wouldn't necessarily be in on um, and the crew would be wetting themselves laughing. But, yeah, I kind of like that with him. Credit where it's due, though. There is a mm-hmm. wealth of mid-slit guest stars yeah, there are. to degrade themselves by appearing on camera for less than two minutes each. Let me tell you, if you've got Anna Karen in your Christmas special, you've made it, mate. You've oh, made she it, was it. she was in this all the time. She was in loads of episodes. Yeah, she was like a regular recurring one. Quite right, quite right. Rat Enders. So they're up all night thinking of that parody. The yeah, the Rat Enders, which again goes on for far too long, um, mm-hmm. and the My Little Warthog advert. Yeah, it feels like very 
blunt satire, even for a kids series, you know? It's all oh, like, a, it's all like yeah. a first draft was completed on Friday afternoon, and then it was submitted as a done thing first thing on Monday morning. I had completely forgotten about the figure that they brought in, uh, Darcy DeFarcy, who was mm-hmm. supposed to be Roland's agent. Yeah. Um, and him calling him Raynard. I'd forgotten all about all this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was Roland the Rat always this much mm. of a nailed-on pervert? Yes. Yes, from what oh, I was remember. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's he always this. had a thing for Anne Diamond. I know that. And, and I, there was other presenters he would... Yes, definitely. Was it Was it like this, though? Yeah. Because they've got yeah. Samantha Fox on as a guest at one point. He's lecturing over her. Mm-hmm. Leslie Ash, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just got three sort of supporting actresses in the Rat Enders bit. And he's basically just wet t-shirting them with a sword of siphon from behind the bar. He is. He it's, is. It's horrific. Who was this? Who's this for? I refuse to believe it's for the dads because the dads wouldn't be in the room watching it at this point. Ah, uh, yeah, they would on a Saturday. Uh. Definitely. This was. This was. This was. You know. This was Saturday tea time before Doctor Who sort of t- uh, territory. That's where we are with this. Yeah. Um, it. Yeah. I. I get it. It's. It, it's. You know. They'll say it's over time, but. Um, there's, there's no excuse for that, and there's no excuse for Kevin the Gerbil singing about Linda the Canteen Girl, because oh. I, I nearly put my face through the telly. <laughs> Again, this is like absolute fucking filler. But you know what? It's shorter than any of the comedy sketches, so I guess that works in its favour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, again, we, I, I do need to underline that this went out at 8.45am on Christmas Day. This was not... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't putting this on after the Queen had been on. This this wasn't yeah. like uh, this weren't your your A list television. This was properly just fill in a gap in the schedules, put it on, make a clip show. Yep, lovely, run it through. But even so, is this the best? Is this was this the best from what they'd done at the BBC? Because like, yeah, you'd just be handing it handing the box back oh. to ITV, wouldn't you? All this is is the characters are great. It doesn't matter what they say. They're literally hanging on to that. That they're hoping that the characters' personalities themselves will just get them out of any old mess. And then, I will say, I mean, we get. Let's just face it. Every every sketch is parody of this, parody of this, parody of this. Yeah, yeah. that's all it is. Um, in terms of world building, my Claridge is up. Is do up tread there. carefully, mm. because bear in mind you're seeing this on the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. But carry on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right? No, Claridge and his world building is tremendous. I think his business acumen is tremendous. Hats off to the man for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, you know, fair play to him. Absolutely fair play to him. It's just there's no substance here. But what I will say is, you and I were both there. We know what a phenomenon Roland the Rat was. Oh, absolutely, it, yes. Yeah. It was Huge. absolutely everywhere. And I will say this, a show like this, just like TVAM was, was e- exemplary for parents because you can lose the kids to the telly for a solid hour with us mm-hmm. and, and you know the kids will be just absolutely glued to it. Unlike me for the final sketch where my heart sank. Ah, oh, I just didn't enjoy it at all. Was that the, uh, the James Bond one? No, uh, it was the Scrooge one. Ah, oh, okay, because, yeah, yeah, I've just got a note saying, 
one of the laziest James Bond parodies ever assembled in a year where there wasn't even a James Bond film released. Well done, guys. (laughs) Bang on the pulse there. Uh, (laughs) And and remember, we've sat through a Basildon Bond sketch. Yes. So, yes. Scriptwriters David Claridge, Colin Bostock Smith. So that explains an awful lot because he's behind the likes of Metal Mickey. Um, so uh, it, it okay. is of that it is of that caliber and okay. Steve Punt. Now that was uh, a surprise. Yeah, you know, you sort of figure he's he's on his way up the ladder at that point. He's really just sharpening his typewriter there. That's what's happening. But, and again, yeah, he's but, like he's got two others in the room where you sort of. To be fair, I sort of suspect he'd like drop a gag in. It wouldn't land with the other two, and you'd be like, okay, fine, I'm getting paid for being here. I don't mind. Is uh... <laughs> yeah, no fair play. Um, oh, and don't yeah. forget, you've skipped over the other musical number, A Guinea Pig in Love. Yeah, I have. Yeah, I have. Which, again, dreadful, but again, short. Short, yeah, that's, that's very true. No, I have. Um, I, I have to confess, I didn't see all of that because uh, I think I got to the first three lines of the song and I sat on the toilet and stuck forks in my legs because oh, okay. that was more pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, yeah, we finish with a, um, with a Christmas carol. Yeah. Me heart sank. Me heart sank. Because <laughs> I thought we're just going to be... We're, we're back to Taylor Two Cities here, and it's going to go on for another 20 minutes, this. I do like how they've managed to do a version of A Christmas Carol, which pretty much picks up none of the plot points of A Christmas Carol. At all. <laughs> that could have been anything, that. That could have been anything. Yeah. Oh, good God. Not impressed. Definitely one for the kids, this. Oh, dear Lord. So, if you had to pin pegs on the line, the the line is there, you do have pegs, Mm. you're not allowed Mm. to walk out of the room with nine pegs again. Mm -hmm. How many are you going to put on for Roland the Rat, the series? Based on the concept of the rat and his mates, all those characters, all those voices, Claridge's brainchild... Um, I'm giving it five. It loses four because in terms of what comes out of the characters' mouths, it's just, just tripe. And your good self, what about you? How many pegs are you going to place upon that bit of string across the yard? Well, in a turn that will come as a surprise to no one, every mm. single item in this programme takes far too long. I'm talking about rolling right here, not this. Uh, yeah. But you know what? It'd still be crap even if it was a third of its length. This show commits many crimes, but the worst is how boring it is. Three out of nine. Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. But I think you'll find what everyone wants to know, what we're getting Mm -hmm. letters about, is how Mm -hmm. many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? As it happens, I can do it in one. Ooh. So, this episode features the indomitable Anna Karen, who of course appeared in 1980's Night of 100 Stars with... Peggy Mark. Would you like me to take you home in a taxi? Skillfully done. There we are. There we are. Can you be equally as skillful? I can. I can also do it in one. This episode features the inimitable Brian Blessed, who of course appeared in 1980's Night of 100 Stars with... 
Peggy Mount. Never again. You have opened your purse for the last time. There you are. There you are. Absolutely can't argue with that. Champion. Indeed, indeed. All right. Okay. Um, little factoids about rats. They love apples. They absolutely love apples. Well, good for them. Uh, yeah, that's what I thought. That's uh-huh. what I thought. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That, it, it, it's suggestive thinking, isn't it? I bet I've made you think, oh, I could, I could murder an apple now. Um, no, I'm to answer your question. I'm, I'm perfectly, I'm perfectly all right on the on the warehouse IPA. Thank you. Thank yep. you very much. Okay. Yes, I'm, that's, I'm that's good. That's not a problem. I wasn't sure it would be a nice accompaniment, but uh, just let us know. Let us know. I'll keep an eye on the situation. Don't you worry about that. You do that. <clears throat> While we listen to these. A finger of fart is just enough to give your kids a treat. A finger of fart is just enough until it's time to eat. It's full of cavalry goodness, but very small and neat. A finger of fart is just enough to give your kids a treat. It's full of cavalry goodness, but very small and neat. A finger of fart is just enough to give your kids a treat. Where's the deadly key folk? They usually turn up early. Happy birthday! Hey, Sydney, just what I've always wanted. That clearly shows how those 2,000 perforations in every Tetley tea bag let flavour flood out. Happy birthday to you from your loyal Tetley crew, for we all agree. <laughs> Tetley make tea bags make tea. Well, they were lovely. They were absolutely beautiful. They were just what I needed. Buy the things. Buy the beautiful things. Do, buy all of them things. Buy them for yourself. And also, it, if you want, you could also buy some for your... Ne- there it is again. There's the facsimile again. And I'm once it. again, I'm on it. it'll Hang be on. for you. It'll be for you. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, we need to bring it closer. Do you know that? We do need to bring it closer do. to the yeah, desk. Well, it's, it was away. It's on, you know, happy on the other side of the studio there, I suppose. True, I, true, I, think, true. I think the flex doesn't reach. <clears throat> It's is I'm, well, I'm not sure who this is for. This is Dear Peggy. Will right. your new series be coming out on tape? I find your drift towards the compact disc to be not to my more traditional taste. Sincerely, Humphrey Malvolio in Hayes. Okay, well, thank you for that, Humphrey. Um, by the time you hear this, you'll know the answer is a resounding yes. Although we do intend to pursue the CD line uh, as well. Mini discs can uh, get to fuck though. I've got six of them. Gathering dust. I think they're propping a book up. I'm sure they're propping a book up. Uh, yeah, but uh, they were not... They didn't catch on. Uh, I don't think they caught on as much as they should have. They were not quite the 80s phenomenon uh, that Roland the Rat was, or indeed that this community was. Neighbours Everybody needs good neighbours With a little understanding you can find the perfect blend. Neighbours was the phenomenally successful daytime soap opera from Grundy Television, which, after a choppy start on the Seven Network in Australia, found its feet and began broadcasting in the UK 18 months later to huge acclaim. 
Following the residents of Erinsborough's Ramsey Street, the show would present an eclectic mix of serious and light-hearted ongoing storylines and also served as a launchpad for some of the most notable pop stars and television and film actors of the last 30 years. We've watched the very first episode, written by Reg Watson, directed by Mark Joffe and Andrew Friedman, which landed on BBC One in the UK on the 27th of October 1986 at 1.25 in the afternoon. No tea time repeats this early in the run. In which young Danny Ramsey is having precognitive anxieties, whereas Dez's problems are somewhat more down to earth. Now we're talking. Now we are talking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember you being a fan back in the day. I was certainly a fan back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is Look. the thing. I was I was banging to this one it uh, when it landed in the in the UK. It finally sort of took off. Uh, yeah. and I, I, completely unironically as well. Yes, yes, of course. I was not um party to episode 1. Uh I wasn't one of the early well I was at school for a start. Yeah, yeah, exactly this. And then media legend has it that uh, the reason we got the tea time slot was because Michael Grade the controller of BBC One at the time, his daughter was complaining that she missed neighbours and all of our friends were missing neighbours because they were at school mm-hmm. and they loved it. And he was struggling to find something for the 5.35 slot. He tried neighbours and wallop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were both there at the time. The country stopped. Yeah, it was absolutely insane and it was very much a... It wasn't a young person's thing, but it was a thing that young people were watching. Yeah. It didn't feel like it was trying to reinvent the soap opera, just bring it to a new audience. So Coronation Street and EastEnders were full of frumpy middle-aged people, and this wasn't the kids in this. They had their own storylines, and they were told Mm -hmm. from their own point of view. But again, without it feeling like a patronising kids' programme. Totally agree. However, when you tune into episode one, you haven't a clue what the hell you're watching. Yeah. The first the first 30 seconds could be anything. It could be crime drama, it could be horror, some kind of mystery series. How about dear 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 listener, have a bit of a, a click through the show notes, click on the link if it's still on if the link is still live and on there it'll take you through to the the first uh, we basically open a soap opera with a dream sequence. Do you think this was a very sly nod to Dallas? Could have been. Interesting now. Uh, I don't think we need to there. see what Danny's dreaming about to know that he's having a dream, that's all. It, it very much feels like a dream sequence. I think largely because mm. oh, yeah. of the, or, the, yeah, the audio that's going on. We've got a bit of a... Yeah, I mean, we yeah, to be fair, we're not in the moment. globally successful soap opera opens with Anne Hattie laughing at a naked man. Absolutely. I'm, I'm disappointed they didn't carry this on as like a visual catchphrase for every single episode. It, it should be written yeah. into every episode that a naked mm. man is somewhere... Mm. And Helen Daniel starts laughing and pointing, and none of yes. the other characters even acknowledge that it's happening. It just happens every, every single day. This is on. That's, that's right. That, that's she- her. That's her thing. That uh-huh. is her thing. Um, bizarre when we first watch it, um, and we get about five minutes in, and there are some familiar faces. Of course, Helen Daniels, who you mentioned, mm-hmm. Des Clark, <laughs> Shane Ramsey, Paul Robinson, who looks twelve, and. Uh, Scott, the first ever Scott Robinson, pre-Jason Donovan Scott Robinson. Ah, that explains a lot. Okay. So we have this nightmare premonition of Shane on the diving board. Yeah. And that's what Danny's anxiety dreams are about. This feels like it's going to go somewhere, but I don't remember this ever paying off. 
because the character of Shane certainly carried on for a long time. Yeah, well, Danny was in for quite some time as well. And, you know, I'm kind of kicking myself here because about five years ago, I did watch the first 300 episodes of Neighbours all back. Um, And I can't remember. So there you go. I'm annoyed that I can't remember that, but there you are. Maybe the payoff Um, was something they brought in in episode 301. Well, maybe. Maybe. I hadn't watched Neighbours since the late 1980s. Yeah, oh, right. And And it occurred to me watching this... That uh-huh. I haven't heard anyone say the words books party since the last time I watched Neighbours in the late 1980s. In the, uh, yeah, Is this a term made up for Neighbours in the late 1980s? <laughs> it might be. No, I'm sure they call them that in Australia, not just in the programme. Oh, okay. Right, I, okay. I don't know. I don't know. It could I knew, be. I, I knew what they meant, but I'm like, no one, no one else, no one else says this. Was a book? A, what? A, a book party? What? Yeah, I know. I know. Very odd. Another disturbing point for me was when we go to uh, Des's house to, to see what's going on at the at the Bucks party, Yeah, we get an exterior shot of the house. That uh-huh. looks like a cartoon. Yes. <laughs> We've got those lights and then this clearly defined silhouette of what could only be a mannequin in the, uh, you see through the glass door. It just looks sinister, quite no, it, frankly. It does look like the nightclub segment in the Sid the Sexist cartoon. Right, yeah. <laughs> Yes, it does. Bless. And speaking of sinister, the stag do looks just that. This Bucks night looks yeah. sinister. Yeah. Some like some suburban. Oh, I don't even. Some, some suburban swingers party. It just no, no. I don't like it. I don't. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> and who's the DJ? There's no logic to the playlist. It's getting on my nerves. I think this is all still a dream sequence. It's not meant to make sense. You sure? <laughs> yeah. I will say, actually, what the we talked about the uh, dream sequence at the beginning, horror, crime, etc. It took me back to the kind of introductory narrative that's employed by US daytime shows of the 80s, such as Sunset Beach. They employ some ridiculous narrative in there, some, some heavy-handed high drama plotline to start the show off right and then as we get into episode five it peters off and it's like oh yeah we're settled now it's just daytimey dramery things uh-huh. um yeah um and i think that there's a nod to that certainly i didn't well i did realize that helen daniels had superpowers but i didn't realize how good they were um the books party's going on it's very loud Everyone in the in Ramsey Street knows about it, obviously. They're neighbours. They talk to each other. They know it was happening. In the Robinson household, mm. Helen and her son-in-law, Jaime, uh-huh. can't get to sleep. Helen, I know she's looking out the window and she goes, what's a girl doing there? What? You're seeing that with your X-ray eyes, Helen? <laughs> I think they changed the silhouette by that point. Helen Daniels is one of the X-Men. And, to be fair... Does that make Jime's superpower... See, Jime was always known for his checky shirts, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Is his superpower in this his diarrhoea brown kimono smock? Well, see, right, I used... <laughs> I phrased it as a beautiful chocolate kimono. So, yeah, all right, you go for diarrhoea if you wish. That's, that's fair enough, fair enough. I was going for a more marketable uh, label okay. on it, but that works, that works. But again, it's like you can hear... The, the Bucks party going on from inside every house in the street. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yet, when you're in the same room as it going on, it's quiet enough that they can just have a, a regular conversation over the music. That's right. It's not, these people never is, been to a party. Yeah. Although I do like the way this script reflects precisely the way that people don't actually speak to each other. I yes, initially thought yes, it yes. was written as like part of some again as part of someone's coursework and then picked up for broadcast. Then I remembered that the show was always like this. And yet, yeah. for all of the cack-handed dialogue here, there's pretty much no exposition in introducing the characters and their setups. Very like, little. Like all soaps, you can pretty much sit down and watch in this from whatever episode is your first. It's mundanely impressive. Yes, yes. It does stir some emotion, however. Max Ramsey, I never liked that man. I I didn't like him at all. And you can see why he wasn't invited to the to the Bucks party. Um, no, no. Ah, yes, Max. Hugely overreacting to every single thing that his son does. It's fantastic. I mean, the point where he berates his own son for having a nightmare. Like, that's something he can turn off. That's right. That's Danny, right. And that, da- that's essentially his character throughout the entire run. Danny goes to eat his dinner. For God's sake, Danny, what are you doing with that fork? You're going to get us all killed, you flaming galah! Right, That's, exactly That's exactly it. Jesus, Edge. That'll be the first <laughs> death coming up. Yeah. Yeah. And then just wait till Madge turns up in later episodes. Uh-huh. My uh-huh. goodness, man. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, that, she's, a, she's a lord to herself anyway. Um, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I don't ever want to see Stefan Dennis in a nappy again, by the way. Gonna make a Ever. No, no, no. There's no need for that whatsoever. And his unconvincing I'm drunk performance. No, thank you. Um, yeah. And it's, of course, the, the riotous events of the night before. Off we go the next morning. And Danny is about to break his dream about Shane. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah, again, I'm, to, I'm thinking, did we not get to a point where, because this is a daily soap opera, it would have to... It would have to. This would have to be wrapped up within two weeks, where he jumps into the pool and there's no water in it. That's some sort, of, some sort of massive punchline, or it's full of horse shit that is also on fire. Yeah, and, the, and, <laughs> and there's a man spraying Ebola onto it to put it out. Something like that. Yeah, and yet, yeah, I remember Shane being in it at least a couple of years down the line. So I don't think this dream storyline's going anywhere. Uh, uh, Shane Shane became a flying doctor. I thought the flying doctors was before this. No, was it still after. going on? Because Jaime was in the flying doctors before this. Yeah, they when they no, he was in the young doctors. How many fucking doctors have they got out there? The, more than they need. I've got a new idea for a program. It's the young doctors. We've already done that. It's like no, no, we did flying doctors. This is young doctors. Then I've got old doctors. <laughs> Lady doctors. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's, it's how yeah, about, young doctors. How about my new program, The Big Doctors? <laughs> Bring it down. It, it's fine. <laughs> Dear God. Yeah. I like the idea of the wedding being called off over a farcical misunderstanding with a stripper. It feels like a very British storyline, doesn't it? Fair play it, to them it, on this. It feels like a Terry and June script, that. It's, I mean, it's fucking dreadful, but it is admittedly worth every second just to create that end of episode cliffhanger that's what that's what we've been going towards isn't it it is and it's beautiful that cliffhanger it's it's fantastic i don't think we've mentioned yet either that the stripper is daphne from out of des and daphne we, we haven't mentioned that no this is indeed how they meet spoilers if you um if, if you haven't watched neighbors yet and you're planning to get into it 
Yeah. Daphne, who goes on to die, remember, is a stripper in this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a dancer, really. You don't really see a stripper, do you? I mean, you wouldn't anyway, but she's kind of a dancer. She calls herself a stripper. She called herself a stripper. And yet we just see her dancing. That's all I'm saying. What did you think she left behind his house when she comes back? She does mention it, but it's not let on for quite some time. And I'm thinking, was that deliberate? Because I think they want us to think knickers. I thought it was a copy of the Radio Times. No. Okay. Valid effort. It's a watch, (laughs) because she reckons it meant a lot to her. Um, she put it under the under the mattress. Why would why she put Obviously. a watch under the mattress? Obviously, <laughs> she should come by and knock on the door. I go. I have to come in because I left my blank or blanks here. Right. And then they both turn, look at the you know, look to camera. Here's some music, sort of ticking down. Thirty seconds, 20, 25, 20, 20, 30 seconds, something like that. And yeah, then it's like, oh, watch. There we go. Who had watch? No. That must have been a hell of a party, though, because the next morning, Dezza's house looks like bullshit. <laughs> I think that's how it always looks anyway. The sofa's on its arse. Uh-huh. <laughs> the place is absolutely destroyed. Considering I there was, love that. Considering there were six people there and a cardboard right. cutout dancing in the wind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one, one of the goodness. six people was operating the sticks to make the cardboard cutout move. So, you know. <laughs> So, um, Neighbours, I don't watch it now. I stopped watching Neighbours by about 2000. I was still watching it in the 90s. But for me, it was just, it was departing what it used to be and it lost. What we're watching now is something magical. It's magic television, I think, this era of Neighbours. It's absolutely wonderful. Even so, and even though I went to, went on to like, yeah, watch it, Every day, I would go out of my way to watch it. You know, follow the storylines. Da da da. Mm-hmm. I hated that the show quickly became so popular that that signature tune was instantly just like a lazy punchline in over in comedy and light entertainment. Oh yeah. So the minute you've got any kind of sketch show, anything like that, they'll just drop in. Not even in the opening bars, the opening notes of that. Yep. That will act as the joke itself. Oh, you recognise this? And that's the same as me having having written a joke. Now, that's not the fault of Neighbours, of course, but it does sour the overall experience. I get you, I get you. But then, of course, that song became its own thing almost entirely. How many soap operas have lyrics to their theme tunes? EastEnders and Howard's Way both came out as singles with lyrics bolted on after the fact, but how many have the words actually in there, in the programme? This first episode opens with the stripped-down instrumental version, but the closing credits have got the vocal line. That was in there from day one. And that's what's really boiling my piss here. The planner for how fucking good that song is. Not Jackie Trent's lyrics. They're twee and overly sentimental, although that's entirely intentional. No, no, no. Tony Hatch's music. I realise that I'm fucking furious at how great this is. On a musical, structural level, the deceptively simple opening, the layering, that melancholic crescendo... The theme to Neighbours is up there with the best of Manilow and the Carpenters. I don't say that lightly. And this was used in a fucking soap opera. The only grudging respect I have to give is that when it comes to getting your material out to the widest possible audience, they have succeeded. But what price dignity, you know? And incidentally, that was released as a single in 1988 by BBC Records. It was. Current eBay prices are between £5 and £6. I've looked this up. Mm Mm-hmm. If you wanted to save 50 pence, however, there are also several listings of a seven-inch pressing of Des O'Connor singing the same song 
for some reason. I'm assuming he got it out about a month before the BBC one. I don't know why this exists. Who wants a record of Des O'Connor singing Neighbours? But Me. there we have it. I need that. Well, just make just making a note, right? That's current, fine. Current ballpark, four pound fifty. Off you go. I'll have that. So, neighbours, watch it. Don't watch any of the new ones. Don't watch any of that now. What you need to do, listener, is you need to invest in the DVDs and you need to go back in time. <laughs> and you need to watch this because, as well, as Blackout and I have both said, this was just a cracking era of television to sit and lose yourself in. And the there was bags of empathy with this. I remember being the same age as Scott and Charlene were on the show. Yeah. And you were growing up with these characters. You were growing mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. great. It was what an experience. There was a magic ingredient to this show. Uh it doesn't have it now for me personally, but hey, I'm older. Uh you see it th- you see it through different eyes, but wow, those those older episodes if you can look at them and relish them. Nine pegs. Seriously? Nine pegs. Okay. This show had everything. This show had everything. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think I'm about to be drummed out of the studio for my school, but yeah, okay. <laughs> to be fair, I also had the neighbor's game, the board game. There you are. Okay. It's been out the box twice. How many pegs <laughs> on Mrs. Mangle's washing line are you going to put? Mrs. Mangle's not even in this yet. I mean, that's, you know, another fail. Um, considering that there's utter fucking hell on because of a stripper... Neighbours is dull in a way which seems to be unique to soap operas. It's not designed to be engrossing. It's only meant to be on. And even this fresh take on the genre is the absolute graveyard of artistic ambition. And yet, I can't mark it too lowly because it's doing exactly what it's supposed to. Five out of nine. <gasps> five? What are you doing? This is me now giving it five. Not me right. in 1987 giving it five. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm giving it such a high score because I know what it was to become and it only became that because of this first episode in my humble Neighbours Mint that being said how many steps is it going to take you to yodel past Madge Ramsey's house and up the mountain blackout I can do this one in three Oh. This episode of Neighbours stars Alan Dale as Jine, who rolled up in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, as did John Hurt, who starred in Three Dangerous Ladies alongside Graham Crowden, who was in 1965's One-Way Pendulum with Peggy Mount. Yes, that's fine. Now, what have we got over here? Very good. Very good. <laughs> Love it, love it, love it. What about yourself? How many steps would you be able to make it in? I can do it in as many steps as Helen Daniels has lips. This episode of Neighbours features Anne Hattie, of course, who had appeared in A Town Like Alice, next to Gordon Jackson, who was in 1956's Sailor Beware with... Hanging on... Go and sit down, dear. You'll tire yourself out. Lovely. Yes, indeed. Yes. 
Everybody needs good neighbours, just like Blackout. Who's next door? And he's got your socials. Yes, thanks once again for being with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyManPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyManPod on the Twitter. You can also find us by searching the PeggyMan Calamity Hour on Facebook. And don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com. Check out the show notes for this episode. It's as simple as that. Well, we go off and make preparations for a Peggy Mount Calamity Hour barbecue, complete with really tasteless Hawaiian shorts. We'll see you the next time on the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Until then, keep mounting! Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com.